0: So we're, we're literally just going to start from like, Erica, you and I have been on phone calls f- over the years and the energy that you bring, you almost burst out of my Zoom video, like quite literally, it's probably the conversa- the only conversations where I'm like, you know what, I don't, I, I don't mind the Zoom and typically I'm so over Zoom. W- what's the secret? What's going on? How are you able to bring this much energy to every conversation?
1: Well, I think it's because of, you know, certainly my general love of people, but also the topic, you know, I love the topic of how do we energize and get uh, our associates, our employees aligned to help achieve business results, but I think it's all about the associate experience, the employee experience. And it's just a topic I don't ever tire of. And I think both um, really make, are, are the keys to the kingdom of making an organization successful.
0: That's the difference between working and pursuing your life's work. You know, I think it's been about seven years ago when th- this became my life's work to think about the human potential in the workplace. And, and w- what a waste. What a waste across organizations, across the globe. And how much better can we do for organizations if we can unlock it? So, Erica, I can't wait for you and I to jump into it. And I, and I can't wait for this to be our first multi-part podcast episode.
1: I'm excited about that as well.
0: We have so much to unpack. And we're going to focus on change management function. And, and although I usually start to, with business goals first, I want to flip the script here just a bit because there's so much for us to discuss as you're thinking about the change management function for next year. Erica, what's your... And as you think about ne- heading into next year, what's your top priority?
1: Yeah, so as you know, Adam, we are really re-evolving change management here. This is a, a new evolution, it's a reinvigoration. And so while we have three main priorities, you know, our, our, we're really focused on, one would be skill building throughout the organization so we can lead self and others through change. Our second, which I call the thing in the middle, is really about applying expert change management to our most critical initiatives. And our third is really around enterprise metrics to understand how the organization is performing and change. But next year, my big focus is to ensure that our most important initiatives have expert change practitioner support. This is something we've been lacking for a number of years.
0: You know, for those who are listening, and as you know, most are internal agents of change. They're listening for these ideas. How do they bring it into their organization? So, you know, maybe just a little bit of why is the shift happening in in the organization? How are you so fortunate? You and I spoke and you have such great leadership that's supporting you through this process. I, I think that that's critical. Often change management is seen as a project manager, maybe in some cases an afterthought. How are you able to lead this, what sounds like almost a transformational effort.
1: You're right. And and like everything, it starts with leadership. I have to say our executive team at TIAA, they are tuned into the evolving demographics of an employee population and the generational impacts. They truly understand and have a people-first mindset and understand things happen one person at a time. They they also understand that as a business, we're quite ambitious. We have high goals. We are trying to do a lot. And when you're trying to do a lot, you can quickly slip into change fatigue and change saturation. And this investment in having what I like to call a change-hardy organization is a really meaningful investment to make sure we can achieve the goals that we want to achieve on time.
0: Change hardy. I've never heard that before. Have you?
1: Yeah, (laughs) yes. I've been using it for a while because I think that it's an important way to describe the attributes of an organization um, and being able to thrive. You know, this, this, uh, this mental fortitude among leaders and the associate population that it's okay to try and fail that we're going to do a lot of things um that we're going to pivot often and to be able to have that change hardiness to roll with the punches live in the ambiguity and how to support each other through it is is critical Nothing happens in a linear way.
0: Yeah. You know, one of the three things you talked about was enterprise metrics for change management. And before, before you know, I'd love for you to double click there. But before you do, it's kind of seems that we've talked about change as the new norm, you know, for, for years now, especially in the last, you know, two to three years. But we haven't acted as organizations to make it the new norm because if we did, It becomes a function with metrics and processes. This isn't a sprint, right? This isn't, oh, we have a new initiative. Let's make sure we have change management behind it. No, this is a new way for how we think about the evolution of our organization, how we think about growth, how we think about all of these elements that are going to impact our business. So Erica, measuring change. Let's chat about that for a minute.
1: Yeah. So I think it's so important to do. And I think as you were mentioning, Adam, it's that holistic perspective on change that really matters. And it's the individual measures against an individual initiative that help you understand that more holistic view. So both are very important. So when we think about measures here, um, we're really looking at things like, are our leaders more equipped to lead others through change than they were before? Are they better sponsors of change today than they were yesterday? Are our associates more equipped to thrive and self-lead through change? Can an associate say, oh my gosh, I have got that feeling inside of me that tells me I'm resisting, whether that's, you know, a rapid heart rate or feeling sick to your stomach or sweaty palms, right? We all know what it feels like when we start to resist. And can I diagnose that in myself and think, why am I resisting this? And can I be honest and vulnerable about that? And can I gift it to you? Adam, if you were my leader, could I gift you and say, Adam, I am resisting this change because I don't feel like I am... um, confident in my ability to perform. I feel competent, I know what I need to do, but I'm not able to translate the knowledge of what I need to do in an ability and I need help. And if I can identify and gift that to you, that's how we build change hardiness. So that um, change metrics need to help us know how are the individuals and how are the leaders improving their leadership of self and others through change. We need to have initiative metrics to know, are these initiatives achieving the business results they were intended to? And then I think we need enterprise metrics to tell us things like, how saturated is the organization? I think, you know first, I think organizations need to know, what is the level of change that they can take on and still be successful? And if we add one more project to the list, and we're now above that change saturation line. What happens? Are we are we putting someone or something at risk? Are we putting another initiative at risk? We also need to know what is the risk profile of the work we're taking on? Do we have a lot of high risk, highly people dependent changes that are highly disruptive going on? And are we timing and sequencing them correctly? So I think that humanistic Are are individuals and leaders leading leading self and others who change well? Do we have good metrics around projects and are they achieving the business results? And then really how is the organization holistically responding to change? I think all of those measures are really important for an organization that wants to be mature in its change management capability.
0: And and it's interesting to talk about maturity, right? From from where I sit and and I'm having two to three conversations probably per day at this point, with Fortune, mostly Fortune 2000 organizations. um, There is no one that has said, oh, we're we're at a certain level of maturity. It seems that the most progressive are asking the questions that you're asking now. That is the most progressive mindset saying, hang on a second, an era is over, right? Whether it's L&D or change management, an era of the way we work with people, activation and sustaining change is over. Okay, let, let's 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 admit it. Pause. A newer era is beginning. What does that look like? And what you're describing from a holistic perspective, and you and I—I I mean, you, you know—I have this lens of um, marketing, and and there's a new term that was introduced two weeks ago. We have a podcast today with Spirit Airlines. We're going to talk about consumerizing the employee experience. Consumerization kind of blew my mind. It was such a simple term, but putting it three words together. Um, you mentioned saturation. Well, in the world of marketing, you, you think about that all the time. Relevance. Oh, you think about that all the time. This is looking at the objectives, whatever behavior change you're looking whether it's uh, join on social media, follow us, purchase an item, become a member, you know. So, Eric, as you think about strengthening, right, this change management for, and I assume it's not every initiative, you're looking at your critical initiatives. Because if you think about every initiative, you have... Inside the organization, you're going to get overwhelmed. So, how do you how do you think about those most critical, and 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 how do you ensure that they are set up for success?
1: Yes, and you're right. We are um, we're a, we're a budding and a growing practice, so we've got to focus on those critical initiatives that are really moving the needle. That we need to make sure that we are achieving our speed of adoption. So, what we're looking at is. We're taking a hard look really as an organization at our measures. Are these measures the right measures? And then dissecting those measures to understand which of those measures or what portion of those measures is change management on the hook for delivering. And we really define that by people dependency, right? So if you build this, will they come? And how do you know? Because they don't always, right? We assume they do.
0: Wait, what? They don't always. <laughs> I know
1: a shocking revelation here today for all of us. You know, but the truth is, people get to decide, and it's funny. I I always say, you know, when we're when we're little, we think the joy of being an adult is staying up past your bedtime and eating whatever you want, whenever you want but the true joy of being an adult is no and resisting and deciding I'm not going to do something and having the honor of that. Right. I mean, that is, that's to me, it's probably one of the most fun parts of being an adult because you know, when you get to adulthood, you know, you can't stay a past your bedtime or you, that, that doesn't have luster anymore and you can't eat whatever you want, whenever you want. And so the joy is really, Around um, decision rights, and um,
0: I just just so you know, I, I'm enjoying my ability to resist not double clicking into that all the way in and launching into a whole podcast around that paradigm shift that you just you, you just threw out. Please continue. So there, there's my note to myself.
1: Maybe we'll have our th- our third our third part in that. Um, so we really are looking at our initiatives to really understand how people dependent are they. So metric number one, Adam, for us is putting that in a percentage. And we know we, you know, that's a, that's the gut sense. If we deploy this solution, this policy, this process, what portion of the ROI are we going to get by installing that? and what portion of the ROI are we going to get because people are actually engaging and adopting and using it. So that's the first thing we do is identify people dependencies. And we're looking at those metrics to understand which of them are dependent upon people or which portion of them are dependent on people. And we're really looking at, and change management is really looking at measuring, you know, how quickly can we get people on board and how well are they performing in the new state? And very simply, in our practice, you know, we talk about how do we get people to be A students and we see our job as the partners of leaders and associates. You know, we want them to be rock stars in the new state. And so we are motivated by being on the side of people being successful in the new way and helping them make that decision to join
0: forces in the new way. And, and, and similar to, again, the world of consumers, there's an adoption like the ad- adoption curve, right? You have some that are probably, let's go, right? There are some, well, we need a little convincing. And then probably all the way in the other spectrum, there are those, well, really, again, another another initiative we're gonna take on. And, and, and what you and I discussed, that spray and pray is no longer the way to, to operate. We simply can't do it. It's got to be relevant. It's got to be custom for them, which Erica leads me to, you know, I, I ask in almost every conversation, what is your view of the current mindset, right, inside organizations and really what people at large, I, I should stop saying inside organizations, current mindset out there, because when we think about, hey, we have another initiative, we have our change management, we'd like for you to jump on with us. To, to believe, to, to embrace, what, are we, what is the context that we should assume as we're thinking about our communications around it?
1: So I like to assume a context of feeling saturated and fatigued. And I think this is why organizations, when they're looking at their, at their maturity journey, in their change management functions, in their communications functions, in their learning and development functions, we need to assume fatigue and saturation, and we therefore need to come to the conclusion that this spray and pray approach is not going to work. And when I have limited mind share, I need to really understand my associates, where they are in their journey, and what is going to be the thing that's gonna get them to decide to opt in and stay there. And it's ever more important that as leaders, right? Frontline leaders are, are really the biggest population in an organization accountable for driving change because frontline leaders directly lead the masses of the organization. It's just critical to really understand your associates. And I think one of the most important things that we can do Is really anchor on a change management language, whether that's an acronym, a model, whatever that is for an organization, if you can find a common way to talk about change, it'll really help move away from spray and pray and move to that more localized contextualized approach. And employees can continue to help feed you that more localized approach because Adam, if you're leading me in the organization and we have a common language around how to diagnose change, and we have a common language, say around a change curve or a change model, and I am feeling stuck and I can use our shared language to tell you where I'm stuck, you now have a better way to localize for me and contextualize for me in that moment. And it's a lot simpler if I gift that to you than if you have to go fishing for it. And so this is why I think, you know, working on both the individual's ability to lead self through change is as important as investing in the leader's ability to lead others through change.
0: Totally, I'm, I'm 100% with you. There's something you said, well, there's a lot of things you just mentioned. I'm like, parked my interest. There's one you said opt-in right? Opt in. Just got me thinking, you know, that's kind of, that's step one. Th- this isn't, this isn't a place where we could say, hey, you have to, Th- there used to be a time where it's all you have to, right? I think that we've also been for a long time in this voluntold situation. No, no, it's, it's definitely optional, but if you don't show up, well, no. So now you're saying opt in again, you know, uh, consumer language there in uh, thinking about marketing is that's all, all also the kind of the first step to get them to opt in. But Erica, when you think about opting in and you're thinking about it from a leadership perspective and you're thinking about unifying the language that you use in an organization, is this about motivation? Is this about inspiration? Is this about transparency, visibility, toward the unified goals how do you think about the i don't want to use the word lover for opt-ins how do you use about the how do you think about the toolkit for for having folks embrace that first step
1: yeah and so i think it is i like to think of how do we get people to embrace is transparency and i would encourage organizations to be unafraid of hard truths I honestly feel like I have seen when an organization feels like they're ready and willing to open up more and share more about the why and the environmental context and the business context of how a decision came to be. Employees, we're smart. We're all smart, capable people who love our organizations, who want to do the right things for our organization. And all of those whys help i think position people for a bright hopeful future and change the more we can involve people in the thought process the more we can involve people in the decisioning and i think even asking people for well if you were in my shoes what would you do and why and even if you don't take my advice and even if you don't take you know the same track that i would have taken The fact that I was asked and consulted matters. And I have to say, Adam, in my change work, when I have been able to entrust a small group of people to say, hey, this is coming, how do you feel about this? I have often been able to come back to a leadership team and say, if you make this tweak, which will not cost us money, which will not impact our budget, which will not impact our timeline. You will design a solution that is far more adoptable and far less emotionally straining because that's what happens in change. We can be emotionally strained by change and we end up saving productivity for an organization. We end up saving the hearts and minds for a subset of the of the organization, and we end up saving productivity for the business. And that more transparency and hard truths and involvement that we have, the better faster we get to the change results we want to see. And
0: and, and that's where I'd love to spend the the rest of our time together. And we began, which is to think about how do we make people initiatives, you know, more successful. You know, that's my favorite question. This is this is why I do what I do. Is to is to dare to dream because we. The folks that are that are, that are my guests on, on the podcast, I think all agree that two years from now, the way we create change will look entirely different than today. What we're doing today is going to seem, I don't want to say silly, it'll be archaic. It'll be studied like now we look at marketing and we say, okay, early days, you know, we did radio ads and, and newspaper ads. How do we do marketing now? Whoa, data driven. Are you personalization, relevance? Here's all the things. So the question to you, Erica, as you dare to dream, right, we're suspending reality. We're suspending capabilities of today. We're basically throwing it out the window and we're saying, what does it look like? What tools, what, what, what approaches, what, you know, just real quick, you know, last week with Prudential, we talked about the future talent marketplace where we said, okay, internal gig economy in the future right it knows you it understands you it guides you it now machine learning ai we are now moving into a world where you are unlocking your true potential inside the organization not going outside and i'm not taking us there I was just maybe too much coffee this morning i think i am at five cups this morning so i gotta i gotta chill out so erica how do we think about the the you know the future of people initiatives
1: For me, oh my gosh, if I could dream and make dreams reality today, I would say more self-organizing teams who are super close to the problem we're trying to solve, empowered to solve them. And just getting closer, getting closer to really designing adoptable solutions I've spent so much of my career in change management where change management is looked at as, okay, this program team is going to go off and design a solution. And then once it's done and we've tied it in a pretty bow, we're going to turn around and gift it to a change team and look at a change team and go, now go get this thing adopted. As though I have all this change management pixie dust that I can sprinkle all over everything and just make people decide to opt in. And so I see a real evolution in the future of people initiatives where change and program management and subject matter experts and those closest to the problem lock arms and co-create, co-create and co-design the solution, co-create and own the delivery and achievement of adoption of those solutions together.
0: So one would be the subject matter expert, and the other would be a change practitioner. Yes. And, and in a way, you know, we, we think about marketing, it would be a marketer with a subject matter expert. The audience is now internal versus external. And because you're at the source, you're saying the answer is at the source. The answer is not in a pretty package. It's not, it, it's not, it's almost like treating a symptom. Hey, I'm having a challenge with change management. Can you solve it for me? Um, Hold up. Hold up a second. What is happening here? Let's go to the source. Why are you doing this? How has it been communicated? What are the challenges involved? You have to be holistic as opposed to, hey, just solve this with this certain group because that's not possible. It can be very effective.
1: Correct. Correct. And I think the best change managers, change practitioners, change leaders, whatever we want to call the discipline, are really almost like the lobbyist for the end user who has to make the change.
0: That's fascinating, please say more.
1: I mean, I think they're really in the position to advocate, to understand what it is to be in a day in the life of the person who's going to have to be on the other end of this solution, on the other end of this change. And to know, what do they do now? How is this changing for them? How do we design something that's really helpful and valuable for them and then their customer? And be that advocate in the solution design process. And if you are that lobbyist and that advocate for the person who's the end user, you're going to absolutely help the organization design a better solution.
0: I'm just having a moment because, again just the similarities between the worlds, just uncanny. For for years now, one of our co-founders has been hitting me over the head quite literally when we're a person saying user obsession, customer obsession. Everything we do, we have to start to think from their perspective, right? Inside organizations, well, who's doing that? If it's a subject matter expert looking to create the change, sure they could, but it's hard to do both they have deep empathy, they have, you know, I shouldn't say deep, they have deep awareness from what they need to accomplish, all of the pressures they're under, to ask them to step outside of that and fully have the empathy for the end user, in this case, the human that's part of the change. Tough. So you're saying change management is the bridge, that partner. Yeah, please.
1: I I believe so, for sure. And I have... I have made the most progress, I think in getting change and designing adoptable solutions, things that feel like a non-event at go live when you have played that role of advocate in the design process and in the preparing process.
0: That's cool, it's, say that again, go live. Feels like a non-event, you said? Mm-hmm. Wow, meaning it's so smooth, we've all expected it. It's kinda just on, on time, you ordered an Uber, Uber arrives, you sit into the Uber and off you go. It's a non-event.
1: Right, my end stakeholders are aware, they understand why, they've bought in, they've decided, they feel equipped with the knowledge and the skills that they need and the day the solution goes live they are really already performing in the new way
0: so where my mind goes and i wonder if we're going to be able to scratch the surface or this becomes our part 2 of our conversation but you know how do how do we think about communications are we now thinking because we have saturation right fatigue so are we looking to create a holistic unified view of all of our efforts and communications are we thinking about bite-sizing our content? Are we thinking about where we're sending it and, and being careful about how we're communicating? Like how do we think about, you know, now that we kind of talked a little bit about the message, how are we delivering it and where?
1: Right. How and where? And are we pushing? Or are we putting it in a place where people can consume it when they want to, when it works for them? And how do we nudge people along the way to remind them, you've got to check in on this topic. You've got to start learning about that. And letting them self plan and self schedule. Uh, it's funny, my kids, when they were little, used to go to a Montessori program. Yes. And you know, on Monday, you show up to school and you understand what's expected of you this week. And what you do is you start energizing or you start organizing your week based on your energy. Mm. I'm not, I, this is what I wanna talk about, you know, this is what I wanna learn about right now. Tomorrow I'm going to do that. And I think the more that we can get into that self-empowerment and understand timeframes and when things need to get done and ensure that there are all levels of support available for people, you know, somebody who's well-versed, you know, we're making a change in um, a business area that, um, you know, if I've been in an organization for 10 years and I'm well-versed in this and I understand and this is a nuance I might need a job aid, but if I just started at this organization a year ago and this change is impacting a part of the business that's totally foreign to me, I might need three days of training to understand. And so making sure that we are contextualizing for the associate and where they are in their journey and where their needs are in this change completely matters. And I think the type of change and how we support them matters too um you know some of us are more sensitive or more resistant to some types of changes than others i might be a complete rock star when it comes to it changes and adam that might be something that you have a harder time with
0: totally i mean you did say the word nudge i didn't you know i'm kind of fanatical about nudges right so so when you think about a nudge in this context of meeting them where they where where they are how do you think about a nudge how do you think about the end I don't know, I shouldn't say the word end state of this because we can't think that far out. But how do you think about the near term evolution of us nudging them to meet them where they are where
1: they are? Oh, I think nudges are so it's such a nudge is such a great thing, right? Because it's um it's a small thing that doesn't take a lot of my time, but that can help be that trigger reminder for me to say. I have got to look at my calendar day, and I have got to block 15 minutes to pay attention to this, or I need to block an hour, and what, how do I critically look at my calendar day to get something off my calendar because this is something that I need to dive into. And I think the nudge way of communication um, is really, really helpful, and it's a thoughtful approach for organizations to take knowing how much we are consuming on a daily basis
0: it's it's, it's an, it, and it's accelerating yeah it's an av- avalanche platforms, contacts you know you think about from LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok, if you're YouTube, facebook you just you just keep going and there are constant notifications they come that's personal, and then there's a whole world of professional absolutely wow i i I don't want to end the conversation i I'd like it to go for another couple hours. That's why we set a, a two- part series to this right? So e- Erica, you know, for those that are listening in, right? And, and you know, th- let's say they're not in a place where you are as fortunate to have a leadership team that's as supportive to think about the new era of change that you are now leading. Um, what suggestion, what advice would you give them in order for them to continue the journey toward the internal alignment, internal alignment that we can and should have to, do something differently.
1: Yeah, and I have been in this place, too. I have certainly had an incredible gift here where I am, undoubtedly. But I have been in that place where so many of my colleagues in my position are, where you are trying to really get that leadership alignment that you need. And every day you come to work, you feel like you're, you're um, facing a battle. I remember those days. I have had those days. And what I would say is you need to find your one. Focus first on finding your one most senior leader who gets it, who values it, and who appreciates it and contract with them. Let them know that this function needs that level of support and sponsorship and collaboration in decision-making. And if you can get that one, that one leader at the right level will help evangelize and will help grow others. I think across their peer group, and then also down the leadership chain in the organization. So, for anybody in my and you know out there right now trying to build a change practice where you feel like you've got one person, maybe not at the right level in the organization, I would say try to find that one at the executive level who will champion and sponsor and support you. And there are so many ways to do that by delivering great project work by letting them know about any internal learning and development initiatives you have going around on on helping helping associates and leaders lead self and others through change, whether you're starting to collect some environmental uh, metrics, which might be new and fresh, right, and never seen of and heard, find that thing that might appeal to an executive and get your one senior leader who will help spread the word
0: for you we're an organization not from a you know hierarchy standpoint obviously the, the more senior the better but when you think about functional it, are you is would this be great to have someone in technology oh my goodness they could help open some doors from a technology capabilities or is it the cfo or do we go operation so you're closer to kind of the business goals and the performance side is there an ideal spot If you have a choice, you probably don't. You probably are finding the one leader who gets it. But if you had a choice.
1: If you have a choice, I think the single best choice is the person in the organization accountable for strategy execution. Mm. Interesting. Because that is the person who will benefit most from change management services.
0: Say more, Erica, Please. please.
1: Yeah, so I think most executives who are accountable for achieving the organizational strategy, which is generally a shared, right? That is generally a shared goal across the organization. You have all executives accountable for their pieces and parts. But if you have a chief strategy officer or in our organization, it happens to be our chief administrative officer who is accountable for strategy execution. Oftentimes, as we have seen, we're still living in a 1990s world where when we talk about strategy execution, we are really talking about execution to the point of implementation. We've delivered a thing, we've turned it on, it's available. We have not thought about execution as really achieving what happens in the days, weeks and months after go live and have we actually achieved adoption and full potential of the ROI we were going after and have we done that quickly? That is change management. And so I really think your executive who is in charge of realizing strategy execution has the most to gain from a change management partner because change management at the end of the day is about achieving business results through people.
0: Like if this was a movie with multi part, like this would be the perfect moment where you put up to be continued. That's right. Right. Because there's so much more there that we just scratched the surface. I'm not even going to say that this was an awesome conversation. That that's self-evident, Erica. I, I just appreciate the time. I appreciate the energy, and and I can't wait for part two and maybe beyond.
1: I look forward to it too, Adam. It's always great, and I always learn something every time I get to interact with you. So thank you so much. Over oh, uh, and out, Erica.